Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome to the show this morning. It is post-Christmas, and we are sitting in the studio really not knowing what we're supposed to do with ourselves today. <laughs> Does this sound about right, Phil? Well, we have a good place to begin, though. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Doing fine. Thank good, you. Good. Yeah. Everybody survived the holidays? More or less, yes. That's good. Yeah. I had the Rona over Christmas. Yeah, we um, heard. Yeah. It was um we were locked in our house for like two weeks and uh we I'm this is my first day out. Christmas Uh-oh. miracle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Um we are taking a look at uh, this brand new theological survey that Ligonier Ministries recently released. It is the State of Theology 2020. You look like you want to say something. I was just going to say that Phil's, in your opening remarks, though very um, much going to inspire confidence in our reader, um, <laughs> listener, listener, reminded me of the opening of Genesis, that God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. <laughs> And darkness was over the face of the deep. That's what it feels like in the studio this morning. Yes, it does. But the good thing is that the next part is that there is light that God does bring out of that darkness. So there's hope. Amen. I I love your insight today. Amen. Fiat Lux. A little eisegesis there. (laughs) Read into things, you know. So if our listeners would go to thestateoftheology.com, you can actually find like the last several surveys that Ligonier Ministries has put on. In fact, they do one every two years. Right. Yeah. Didn't they start like in 2014? Yeah, 2014. And what it it does is it uh, shows whether our concept of God and salvation and um, is is trending in a positive or negative direction. That's right. Now, I'm not a mathematician. By any means, and so my wife always tells me not to do math in the pulpit. So I have to be careful when I'm talking about these things. So, <laughs> so um, but I do know that larger numbers are bigger, <laughs> represent higher percentages. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, that, that pretty much sums up what I learned in my ma- my math degree in in undergrad yeah. studies. So Ligonier Ministries, if you're not aware, um, this is the ministry that was started by the the late, great R.C. Sproul. Um, He went on to be with the Lord in 2018, I believe. And they just have a wealth of information. If you don't have their their app on your phone, I would suggest getting it because you can listen to teachings anytime by by Dr. Sproul. I remember listening to Dr. Sproul several years ago, and he proved the existence of God with a shoe. And it was one of those most just brilliant, you know, teachings, and, and I was so edified by it. But Dr. Sproul has a lot of really good stuff on the Ligonier app. But this survey here, it gives 35 questions, and the new function of this year's survey is that you can actually send out a group survey. You can take the survey yourself. So if you're a church leader, you can send out these 35 statements to your church. 
You can send it out to your family, extended family, and you can get kind of a feel of, of what your family believes or your church believes about these 35 hugely important questions. And these aren't just like, you know, how many angels can dance on the, the tip of a pen. These are foundational questions, right? Certainly. They can't yes. see your, they can't yeah, see your head nodding on the yeah. air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yes. The, the answer is yes. Russ, I'm I'm scared for what this show is going to be like today. All right, so we're, we're doing great. We're this doing is where great. we're going to start. So, question number three: If you are looking at the the website, you can go and you can filter your responses. We're just going to filter the evangelical belief responses. Question number three says: God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Now, if we just look at the evangelical responses. It is 42% of evangelicals that agree that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. This goes back to something I heard on the radio just yesterday, that what's driving that number to be so high is, is millennials. If you just deal with those in 18 to 34 that are evangelicals, 52% of millennial evangelicals would say that. And what I heard on the radio was that, in essence, that age group, generally speaking, naturally we're talking about statistics, so don't feel like we're trying to target every uh, evangelical millennial and and peg you as a certain belief system. Naturally there aren't, because 52 say one thing and the other 48 say another. But this has implications, doesn't it? If if God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, what, where's the need for evangelism? Mm-hmm. If 52% of our young people believe that there really is no significant difference between the three, you're never going to have a, a meaningful uh, apologetic conversation with somebody that, that disagrees because, well, why does it matter? That it becomes irrelevant to how we live and practice our, our faith. Mm-hmm. These things go to other foundational issues as to how we understand the Bible. Even uh, you know, is it authoritative? Because you know, Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one—that's exclusivity. No one comes to the Father except by me." It really goes to the authority of Scripture in in our lives, and also how we're teaching that uh, the Word of God. If if you're talking about quote-unquote evangelical millennials who have agreed with these statements, what we're detecting is that outside of the church has had a greater influence upon them than the church itself. Yeah, yeah. It also goes to what we believe about God mm-hmm. and, and the nature of God and, and how do we know the character of God. And I don't mean to overly generalize about people, but many, many people in today's world, even peop- uh, many, many people in church, believe that God is like us, only bigger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, in our culture particularly, we have kind of a laissez-faire attitude about, you know, any, hey, anything goes, you're not hurting anybody else, then whatever you're doing is cool. And that's very much a cultural attitude of our time that works its way into the church. But the moment you open up the Bible and, and start learning the character of God from the Bible, one of the first things we learn in the Bible, in the fourth chapter of Genesis, is that God does not accept all worship. Mm-hmm. Two brothers, Cain and Abel, both come to God in, to bring worship. 
both bring a sacrifice for worship. God accepts the worship of Abel and rejects the worship of Cain. Now, I just want to stop right there and, and say, now think for a minute, believer. Let's just, let's just draw the assumption right there. God does not accept all worship. Mm-hmm. That's unavoidable in that story. Whatever, whatever other application you make of that story, and we, we could get into you know, why is one accepted mm-hmm. and the other one not accepted. But right there at the, in the fourth chapter of the Bible, God does not accept all worship. God accepts right worship. Uh, when Jesus, uh, in John's gospel, when Jesus was talking with the woman at the well, John 4. Uh, John chapter 4. Uh, Jesus says, uh, you worship what, in speaking to the woman at the well, Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. We worship, speaking of himself <coughs> and the Jews, Jesus says, we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. True worshipers. Jesus says there's such a thing as a true worshiper. Uh, and that's not everybody. That's, that's not the whole world. There is a true worshiper who comes through Christ, as Jonathan was saying a moment ago, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one will have access to the Father except, said Jesus, through me. And, and this is something that they, the disciples taught. This is the, you know, that after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven, you know, they, you, know, you have Peter proclaiming there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved. To this was the problematic about this statement and the acceptance of this statement that God accepts worship of all religions. It's contrary to what God himself has revealed about himself. You know, as Phil has eloquently pointed out, he does not accept all worship. We see that throughout God's word. And I think the intent of, of people that, that accept this statement that all religions are accepted by God is to try to be tolerant and gracious and mm-hmm. accepting and kind. And, and I get the desire that, that goes behind how we might want to engage with those that believe things differently than us. But it's not kind. It's not loving. It's not being gracious to allow people that do not believe in Jesus Christ to continue in that direction woefully and unaware the end that awaits not accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not gracious to your Muslim friends or, or your Jewish friends to say it's okay that you don't believe in Jesus Christ because God accepts all worship. Well, God doesn't. Yes. And so you're allowing them to live their life based upon a faulty premise and a faulty premise that will end in their eternal condemnation and judgment. And that's not kind. That's not gracious. And so I, I get the whole mantra of tolerance today, but that doesn't take away from the reality of where this position will, will lead lend, and lead people to. I fear, too, sometimes that whole I, I desire to be winsome and tolerant is, is really self-worship. I'm not saying it is in every single case, but if you're more concerned about what people are going to feel about you versus what you, what you know about their eternal soul— 
that's being more concerned about yourself than than the other person. Yes. I mean, the, at the at the end of the day, the the Bible asks one one important question: How can a sinner stand before a holy God? And these three religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, answer that question in fundamentally different ways. They're, they're exclusive. They, they cannot go together. They're contrary. And, and interesting, you know, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, you're talking about the three monotheistic religions, but that's, you know, that's where close does not even get you close. Yeah. Yes, there is only one God, but... That one God still has to be understood in the way that he's revealed himself, not in the way we would wish him to be revealed. And the reality is there's only one mediator between God and man. Mm-hmm. Right. And Christianity accepts that, that Jesus Christ is that one mediator. Judaism and Islam do not. Mm-hmm. And if God has said there's only one way that there's acceptance with me, and that's through my son, and two of the three don't acknowledge that the son... We can't say that God accepts them. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. You can check out this survey at thestateoftheology.com. We will see you next time. 